Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Jenny Moore and her partner, Bryson. They're sharing their surgical birth story, a birth that shifted from her vision, but ended up being, as she describes, the most positive and relieving part of her labor and birth story. We are grateful to hear her truth today. Hello, Jenny and Bryson. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. For sure. Can you guys start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah, um, we're both uh creatives i'm a writer and bryson's a musician um and we've been together four going on five years yeah so we're a pretty creative kind of hustling couple uh, we do a lot of things we are pretty busy now that we've made a new addition we're even our lives are even crazier oh and we have two dogs and a cat which adds to the frenzy of our household (laughs) (laughs) you can imagine so the cat have the cat and cats and dogs been there before the baby i've had pets a long time i had one cat and one dog when bryson and i got together so he kind of had to assimilate to my animal friendly lifestyle um, but then uh, when COVID happened, we also adopted a puppy together named Pinto. So he was our first baby that we had together. And now he's still our baby, but <laughs> not the baby now. <laughs> I got you. It can shift the household. Yeah. That's right. It's definitely been an adjustment for everybody. So tell us about your pregnancy. Yeah. You can start with like conception, any preconception thoughts, things like that go along the road. I was about to turn 34. So I was kind of just feeling the pressure from like, I guess it was just societal pressure. And like, I feel like in the media, there's a lot of talk about infertility and like you hear so many stories about people you know, struggling to conceive and, um, you know, and I have people in my life who've, you know, had miscarriages and stuff. So I was definitely thinking that if I wanted to carry, then I should probably get started on trying. Um, Because I was just kind of had this idea in my head that, and I would, when Bryson and I would talk about it, I was like, you know, it might take us a year, you know, it might not happen. We might have to, you know, consider other options so he was kind of like yeah you know you had said you don't want to wait too long and then you know end up with me having like a really complicated pregnancy or something so we decided to get started and the first month that we tried as far as you know tracking ovulation it happened so I had no infertility issues at all (laughs) like I kind of I guess was brainwashed into thinking I would um, just because I was 33, I was like, oh, it's going to be hard, you know, but it, it wasn't hard. It, it happened immediately. Um, and we were really excited about it. Yeah. Everything was kind of, uh, easy peasy until the morning sickness hit. And that was honestly, um, yeah, the nausea and vomiting was really intense for me. It lasted a long time, um, like well into my second trimester, um, I actually kind of wondered if I had hyperemesis, just kind of a milder case because Zofran 
uh, was a medication that worked for me and helped me keep food down. So that went on kind of a long time, and that was honestly the worst, um, the worst pregnancy symptom I had. But yeah, and it, it was just funny because it was so different from most people's experiences. You know, so many people were like, oh, in the second trimester, it's so much easier. Everything gets better in the second trimester, you know? That wasn't the case for me. It just kind of kept going on and on. So I was really happy that uh, my doctors got me on Zofran because that Zofran was my Zofriend, as I like to say. Um, and yeah, so that made my pregnancy so much more enjoyable until the last, uh, I guess, three four weeks my pelvis started to get really like sore like I was carrying a bowling ball between my legs you know I was just about to pop I was I was ready I think she uh, dropped and I guess that was just the pressure I felt um so yeah other than the morning sickness my pregnancy was great until I was ready to not be pregnant anymore and I felt that in the center of my body so yeah what what am I forgetting Bryson oh yeah it's fairly active yeah, all the way up until pretty much her induction, um, she didn't really slow down. She was still driving herself everywhere, still going on walks with the dogs. Didn't take any time off work that I know of. So yeah, you're pretty active the whole way. So besides, like you said, the last few weeks when your pelvis was starting to feel, the, feel it, you're about, you know, you're about there already, so. Right. You had a pretty active um, pregnancy. Yeah, I kind of wanted it to be that way. I, um, at my very first prenatal appointment, uh, I had high blood pressure. Um, it was elevated. It wasn't, like, super high to the point where they wanted me to be on medication. Um, but because it was elevated, like, just pretty consistently... Um, eventually uh, I risked out of the midwifery care, um, that I wanted to, uh, have for my whole pregnancy. Um, I always saw myself giving birth in a hospital, but I really liked the idea of having my care team be midwives in a hospital, just like in case we needed medical intervention. I liked the idea that we were close by. So that's who I saw for the first several weeks um, until I had one reading that kind of was off the charts uh, for my blood pressure. So then I think it was a fluke, honestly, but but because that was the only time it was ever that high. Um, but because of that, they told me that I risk, risked out of midwifery care. So I had to go see um, an OB after that or they, you know, that's what they told me at least. So luckily, um, I really liked my doctor. I was saying that just seems like such a one reading just seem yeah I mean like you you need to see a pattern a yeah more, I mean they but were, I get it they were consistently like in the one forties um, but I had one that was like one sixty five which was like whoa that's kind of a crazy one um, so you know I did that I went to the I guess it's the mama baby unit or something I went to the unit where I was in labor eventually later on but. I just was like monitored for several hours and they took my blood pressure every hour, I think, and did like an EKG and the stress test. And then after that, like every appointment, 
every prenatal appointment I had, um, I would do the stress test um, just so they could see how she was doing on the, um, how our heart rate was going up and down. And yeah, yeah. Luckily, I, I liked the doctor that I got matched with um, on the first try. Um, she made me feel really comfortable. She had like an accent that I really liked. <laughs> it was very a very soothing accent. I was like, yeah, I like this lady. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, she was great. Um, she was very cautious about everything. Like I didn't feel like I didn't feel like she was um, like ignoring any symptoms I had or anything. So I loved my doctor. That's kind of been like the the thing through the whole pregnancy birth was like maybe I didn't have exactly the experience I wanted in the beginning but one thing that I really am appreciative of is that I really liked my care team pretty much everyone we ever interacted with um, was really great um, that is good so how did you and Bryson actually how did you guys prepare for the birth itself outside of getting your medical team were there any other forms of preparation you did yeah we took a class we took like an online just like a virtual uh birthing class and i spent a lot of time educating myself um whether it was reading books or on youtube um listening to other like uh birth workers listening to this podcast like I feel like I really wanted to absorb a lot of stories um, and a lot of experiences just so I could kind of know what could happen because I wanted to have like a realistic, you know, a, a realistic idea of what was going to happen to me because um, I did have a lot of anxiety about like, you know, dying mostly, um, something happening to our baby. So I probably went a little too hard on the education because it got to be a little like like it I don't know how much it helped some some of the videos I was watching I was like okay this is not helpful this is actually just scary um so yes there was a lot of preparation Bryce and I made sure to do uh, a birthing class and I took like a breastfeeding class and stuff too um and we the last few weeks I think it was yeah like four or five weeks before we had her um we got a doula um and I kind of had it was really late so I was a little nervous that I wasn't going to be able to have a doula um but I did get matched with one um talk about that a little bit later um, the resources side of things but yeah so we had a doula and she was great to talk to about like she has um three kids and actually going on for now um but uh so it was really great to talk to her run things by her like does this sound normal and she, you know she kind of could reassure me like yes blood pressure like that's a pretty common reason why inductions happen and she yeah so it's just nice to have her perspective on it so that I could like advocate for myself with my doctors and stuff and like yeah I felt like that was helpful to have her there the first night too but that's getting more into the birth talk <laughs> it's fine I do want to touch back on your anxiety though where did you um where do you feel like that came from for you I think there were just so many like choices that 
there were to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am kind of like an indecisive person. So <laughs> it was, I think the anxiety came from like, oh, I just want to make the right decision or what, you know. It was like, there's so many opinions out there, so much information. So I think the anxiety was just like trying to decipher like what is real, you know, like my doctors would say something, but then I would be like, but are they like, you know, like, I don't know. It's hard. I think being like a black woman who's pregnant and like all that you hear about, you know, malpractice and mistreatment. I wanted to um, kind of read between the lines of what the medical care team was saying and run that back to like my doula or <laughs> or my friends or like uh, my black nurse that I talked to from Healthy Birth Initiative and just like, I don't know, just like, I guess, double checking what the medical people were saying to make sure that like I wasn't gonna be like taken advantage of or something or or like pushed into doing something that was out of convenience as opposed to what was best for me or something so anxiety coming from a lot of directions that sounds stressful yeah um yeah that sounds stressful like just the idea that you can't go into a space without feeling like you know the truth or you you're being treated a certain way because you're black or how you present and that seems it just feels heavy it feels heavy to me like just hearing it from you like you know what I mean like you're already pregnant right and then you go into these spaces and because of racism right that we we just walk into spaces and because of racism we can't just be who we are right we can't be in the moment we have to like take notes. Exactly. And the idea of running it back with so many other people um, feels heavy. Yeah. And Bryson, were you able to go to those appointments during that time? Yeah. During the pregnancy too? Yeah. I think I only missed maybe one and her mom had went in yeah. person. But I went to, I went to, I was at, mm-hmm. oh my God. I was, <laughs> I was at everything. Yeah. He went to every appointment except. Uh, my mom was just dying to go to an ultrasound. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She just, and I was like, oh, Bryson wants to. He wants to let you. She was just obsessed. Just, <laughs> right. She couldn't handle it. So he let my mom go to one or two. But yeah, so that was helpful too. Like, yeah. And even, you know, listening to your podcast and stuff, I was like getting tips from other black moms. I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to make sure my ring is on for every appointment. Like, Bryson has to come to every appointment. You know, like, I didn't want to be seen as a stereotype. Because I just wanted to make it out of this thing alive. With you alive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It was anxiety coming from all directions. But luckily, my partner is very, very calm as a person. So, that mm-hmm. definitely was helpful that he wasn't stressed as much as I was but also why would he I'm the one having to do it (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah Uh, he's walking alongside but it is definitely a different perspective yeah the partner um so let's talk about this birth yeah um I think I was like 
34 weeks we went into the appointment and my doctor was like yeah so I think we're gonna need to induce you at 38 and we were like huh what really <laughs> because I thought we had like a month and a half and then we only had four weeks like exactly four weeks so that was kind of interesting because I didn't know I was gonna be induced and from all the crazy research I was doing, I was really not wanting to be induced. So that added a little more anxiety because then I started researching the induction, you know, what all is gonna happen with that. And oh, turns out that means that it's gonna be like probably a longer birth process, which is also what I didn't want. So it was a lot of grappling with that. like. I wanted like a low intervention, you know, once I couldn't have the midwives, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll just, you know, I'll have the doula, we'll be in there, I'll just like refuse all the medication, <laughs> like we'll have low intervention, very little things done to me, but that can't, you know, with an induction that, as you know, that's not very likely um, to happen, so I was like, it gets tricky, it, right, trickier to, you know, because once you have one thing done to you then you have symptoms and then you want to fix them so yeah it was um scary being induced but on the other hand i was kind of happy that we had the day like oh this is the day we're going to the hospital so it was cool to plan um for that and not have to like sit around just like you know wondering when I'm gonna go <laughs> to labor, it was kind of cool to be like, okay, well, this is the day that we're gonna have our dog sitters come over, you know, like we could have people to to do that on specific days before we even got to the hospital. Um, and yeah, we went in on June third, Friday Good. night, and just got settled, and Bryson had the foresight to bring the PlayStation, so we brought, like, a bunch of movies and, uh, you know, electric candles. I made, like, a massage oil that smelled really good, and we brought as much home with us as we could, especially because I kind of had the feeling that it was going to be a while, that we were going to be there. Um, and, yeah, I think we started with, like, the mice the misoprostol pill and that was like the first 12 hours was just taking that and just kind of I don't know I feel like I was just hanging out for the first day just kind of taking the pills my pelvis was still killing me so that was like honestly the worst of it the first day and then I think um <laughs> That first night, uh, one of the doctors, who wasn't my normal doctor, but she, you know, I saw her throughout my stay there because my doctor is always in surgery. Um, but she came in and she was like, I don't want to check you. She's like, we're so early on. Like, I don't want to, we don't need to do a check. She's like, I don't want to do that to you. And I was like, no, no, I want to be checked. I want to know, you know, I was very excited. I think I just was like, oh yeah, I'm going to have a birth, you know. I'm going to be already three centimeters dilated. Um, uh, and that wasn't the case. And I didn't know that 
uh, cervical checks were so painful. So that was fun. Um, no one talks about that. I feel like no one talks about that part of the birth experience. There's no preparation. I, I think there's really no preparation for it in terms of like, even they say, you're going to feel some slight discomfort. It's not enough. It's not. That's not enough. That's not enough. <laughs> I felt like I was in pain. Like I was like squeezing whoever's hand and just like breathing very deeply because that was a lot for me. And then I got, I understood what she said. Then after that, I was like, okay, I see why you didn't want to do that to me right now. Because she was like, yeah, you're like not even a one. I was like, okay. And then that was kind of the story of my induction. Like it was always like them checking and being like, "Mm, you're not really, you're not really progressing. I think I got to maybe a four, five, maybe, maybe a five, probably not. It's probably like 4.75 or something. Um, but yeah, I just remember they kept doing more and more things and all the things that I said I wasn't going to do, like fentanyl, I did, I did have some of that to take the edge off. Um, the epidural didn't want that, but I got it because I, I wanted relief. My waters were broke. I didn't want that, but that happened. But after things just kept happening, or I don't know, after symptoms kept happening to me, I kept wanting the things I said I didn't want. I was like, okay, well, now I need to take the edge off. It's been too long now. Like, now I want the epidural because my waters were ruptured. And then the epidural was actually um, probably the one thing I did that I didn't love. Um, But it wasn't because it was painful to have the needle put in. It was um, it was sitting in that position for me that was the most painful because um, my pelvis was so sore that I couldn't like lay in certain positions and be comfortable. So sitting in certain positions definitely wasn't comfortable. And you know you have to be in that like you know, rounded spine, like on the edge of the bed, very still, and that was the worst to me. Like, I, I don't know how long I sat in that position, but it felt like it was, like, 15 minutes. Um, and I was just sobbing. <laughs> like, Bryson was holding my hand, I think. But that was... And just feeling those pricks, I was like, okay, it's not... It would have been worth it, I think, if it was like, okay, now I'm numb. Um, but I I could still feel, like, every... not. I mean, it was maybe a little dull. But it didn't give me the pain relief I was hoping it did. It would. Um, uh, oh, I had like two Foley balloons, Foley bulbs put in. I think I did one for 12 hours. And they told me that would be it. They're like, yeah, usually it doesn't stay in for longer than 12 hours. Um, because I I have a stepsister who had one in for that long. And she was telling me how she hated it. So I told them, I was like, my stepsister. (laughs) And they were like, oh, well, normally it's just 12. Like that, that's usually when we stop. But then they put mine in for 12. And then I guess it kind of worked a little bit. But they were like, "Mm, we think we need to do another 12. And I was like, see, this is what I didn't want. Um, But then the second one worked pretty well. Uh, The other one just came out. And that's when I think... I think they ruptured my waters after that. I don't know. Everything's kind of a blur. 
But I know that I had a like every induction method. I think was other than the um, huh? I think everyone except I say everything was used. Yeah, except the there's like another um, pill. Is it, is it the misoprostol that like goes in your vagina or something? I forget. Yes. Um, but they didn't have that one, even yeah. though they tried to get it sent over or something. But they, okay. but they didn't have that one. But I did everything else. Was it like Cervidil? Yes, yes, that's the one. I guess my hospital, for some reason, they didn't have that kind. Um, but yeah, she didn't. She didn't want to progress past a five, and we were. I was being induced Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and. Monday, and then I think, you know, I don't know how many cervical checks later, <laughs> uh, but she was, and maybe you could answer this question for me, because why don't they do, like, ultrasounds during labor to know, like, what the baby's positioning is? Is that, like, bad radiation? Or something? I think part of it is limiting how many ultrasounds you do. Um, it's, you know, because the truth is they don't know how it actually affects a child, how, what the long-term effects of, you know, frequent ultrasounds are. Um, I've known some that do it, you know, in terms of trying to make sure baby's head down and all that stuff um, so they're not you know, coming into a breach birth unknown, but yeah, um, a lot of it has to do with positioning, right? She was definitely head down. A lot down. of it has to do with the positioning, yeah. She was head down, but she was sunny side up, which I guess is It harder. makes it harder for babies um, head to engage in the pelvis if they're in different malpositioned, which makes it harder for the cervix to open up. And so a lot of it has to do a lot of position changes. And it can be challenging when you're going through an induction because there's already these other interventions going on. So yes, it can be different position changes, but then you also have to keep in mind like things like your blood pressure. If somebody's dealing with high blood pressure, you don't want to necessarily put them in all the same type of positions you would be doing with someone um, who wasn't because you could be causing greater harm. And so um, it just also sounds like all those days of being induced just mentally draining for you and Bryson. Like, I know that you're physically going through it. Um, and even as the partner, just like, what is going on? Like, you don't really know what's going on. Either one of you are just kind of like, we're doing all the things and nothing's happening, nothing's changing. And then you don't get to eat as the birthing person, right? That's a lot of... Okay, good. Well, it's because if they end up in a surgery, oh. a surgical birth, the, the, the chances of your food coming up oh, okay. while oh. you're um, in surgery, oh. that's what it is. Well, that did happen. Because they don't want people to choke <laughs> on their own vomit, basically. 
that's funny because I definitely and, they, and you don't know when it's gonna happen right okay because yeah. I mean I'm sure that's it was because it I was being induced for like three days they were like this girl needs to eat but um <laughs> but yeah the I think it was Monday they were like eventually you know they'd done everything I'd been on Pitocin for a long time I was having very strong contractions consistently and then so uh, at some point like a surgeon came in doctor the doctor came in and oh my god she's like stuck on it okay there we go uh and he said if I didn't make any uh progress in the next like three or four hours uh he would recommend a c-section <sighs> and that was like my worst fear going into the birth was like like I remember the last thing I said to my aunt was I'm not having a c-section like I was very adamant about it but of course that's what happened I think I jinxed it um because yeah she just I was like well okay I guess I'm not gonna freak out I'm just gonna be calm because I'd been tr trying to be calm the whole time I was trying to like progress it on my own I brought my yoga mat I was walking I was moving around I was like changing positions I was on the birth ball I was in the tub like <laughs> it was everything it's okay so yeah once he said that it was almost kind of a relief um and Bryson I don't know if you were awake during that conversation or if we told you after. Because there was always... Bryson was getting good sleep to prepare for the baby afterward. I wasn't getting any sleep. But he was getting great sleep for when I would need to sleep after. Um, so I remember there always being like, Oh, well, this is happening now. Now we're going to put you on Pitocin. Now we're going to rupture your waters. And him just being sleeping. And I'm like, okay, can someone tell him what's happening? Because things are moving along and he doesn't know what's happening now so that was just kind of funny um but one of the best things that they that one of the nurses said to me was if you decide to do a c-section we're gonna leave this room in 10 minutes and i was like what like really <laughs> and that was like the coolest thing ever like once we went in there and then the anest uh what, anesthesiologist properly numbed me and I couldn't feel the catheter the the foley bulb anymore I could finally be at peace because he numbed me right up it was the best thing ever that's like what I had been wanting the whole time I was like please someone make me not feel the foley bulb you know that was the thing that was really bothering me because I couldn't get comfortable with it you know it's just uncomfortable um which made it hard for me to sleep, which then all the emotional exhaustion just got it like wore harder and harder on me every day because I wasn't getting enough, like nearly enough sleep. So I was like, all this, like, how dilated am I game? Every time we do it, it's like a little harder because I keep getting my hopes up. And like, yeah. So at one point I started crying to one of the nurses and she was like, what's going on? And I was like, I'm just emotionally exhausted. And like, I'm really tired. And I'm, I'm just uncomfortable. Like, this is all a lot. Like, 
I've been, I have these IVs in. My blood, the blood pressure monitors like nonstop. The Pitocin is making my contractions. You know, it's like all these things. And you can't move around normally because of the freaking Pitocin bag that you're like walking around like a literal hospital patient. Um, so yeah, that definitely got to me. So after that happened, I think that's when <clears throat> the doctor called her back like 30 minutes later or something. And they were like, I overheard it actually, like on her speaker walkie talkie. She was like, um, Dr. So-and-so called and, uh, wants you to call her back about rupturing your patient. And I heard rupture patient. I was like, yes. I was like so excited because the water's rupturing, I think, to me, was just, like, another step towards baby coming. Even though I didn't, you know, originally even want that at all. I was just like, let's do something else because all this let's take misoprostol every several hours and wait game is, like, not doing it for me anymore. Like, I need, like, increasingly bigger things to happen <laughs> because I don't feel like this is going anywhere. So I was really happy that the doctor changed her mind and said to just do that. Um, cause I was like, yeah, I need to do something different. This is, <sighs> yeah. So that was a lot. And I, this was my first time ever having a surgery other than wisdom teeth. Um, so I think I was very fearful about it. And also because of other media things that I've seen. Like, to me, a C-section was like, if I'm going to die in childbirth, it's probably going to be because I had a C-section. Like, in my mind, that was the story I was telling myself. Um, which, you know, a lot of people have C-sections all the time, and it's very routine, you know. It's a very routine surgery. It is a major surgery, but, like, I don't know. I just had a lot of fear wrapped around it because of that one Kevin Hart movie that I watched. I don't know if you've seen Fatherhood with Kevin Hart. I'd say, and I think it's one of his his best, but it's also one of the heaviest, right, for us to watch, especially as Black women in this current climate. In this, not even current, this has been the climate. They just have the numbers to back it up, but um, yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, I do love that movie, but I'm like. I didn't know that you could just have a C-section, everything be fine, and then have a pulmonary embolism and die. Like, So when they you know, brought up the C-section to me, I was like, so what are we going to do to make sure I don't have a pulmonary embolism? Because I saw a movie with Kevin Hart in it where this happened to his wife at the start of the movie, and then he has to raise the child on his own. So then the nurse was like, well, we put these little squeeze things on your legs to, I think... It, like, pump... I don't know what it does. It helps make sure your blood doesn't clot. It's supposed to help. Right. Yeah, or that it does clot. Or that it doesn't. Does. Doesn't. You don't. You don't want to clot. (laughs) So, yeah. uh, Well, you do and you don't. (laughs) Right, exactly. Sometimes you do. Right. (laughs) So, yeah, that was, like, my one question. (laughs) about the c-section I was like how do we make sure I don't have a pulmonary embolism because that's my main thing and then she had an answer for me and I was like okay well I'm glad there's at least that safeguard um cool and then we did it because I was just like whatever you know like I don't know how much longer I can be on Pitocin anyway so let's do it 
and we went in there and I told everyone that I actually was a really big fan of Grey's Anatomy so it was kind of like a bucket list thing for me to be in an OR because I really do love a good OR um, <laughs> um and, they were, and then my doctor laughed at me. Just don't want to be the patient, right? You know? No, I want to be the, the patient you all save. Um, so, yeah. Uh, the C-section, yeah. So that was literally, like, I went in there and it was all quiet. And, like, he numbed me up. And then, I, oh, I did start vomiting right before. <laughs> before we went into the OR, actually, because I had been eating. And they didn't. I don't think they told me not to until, you know, kind of closer to when we planned the C-section. So I was vomiting and I was a little nervous about that because I was like, is it okay? Because I think Bryson or someone was holding the bag for me. And I was like, is it okay that I vomit while I'm open on the table? And they were like, yeah, it's okay. I was like, all right, (laughs) because it's happening. Um, And then it was, yeah, it was like a very short process. And I just remember the doctor describing, um, you know, after he brought Bryson in, he said, "Um, it's going to feel like your body is a backpack and like we're shifting things around in the backpack. I was like, okay. (laughs) And then that's exactly how it felt to me. Like once I would, I would feel something move, but not like, you know, I wouldn't really feel anything, but I would kind of feel like a shift. And I would be like, oh, well, that was weird. Uh." And I would just kind of, like, push it to the back of my mind so I didn't, like, get weirded out, you know? I was like, oh, oh, this that was weird. Mm -hmm, Nothing, nothing. Everything's fine. Um, (laughs) But then, like, I don't even know. It felt like 15 minutes, maybe, of Wes just waiting and me puking. And (laughs) they were like, do you guys want to see her when when we take her out? And we were like, yes, yes. So they kind of like lowered the curtain a little and I remember them, I'd be like, I was like, I can't see her. I can't see her yet. And they're like, it's okay. Hang on. And then they like held her up. Um, and I had forgotten that we didn't know the gender. Um, so I just looked at like her face cause I was like, Oh yeah, it's you, you know? <laughs> and then Bryson said, it's a girl. And I was like, it is a girl. It is a girl. Because we wanted a girl um, secretly. But we were um, we wanted to be surprised. Bryson wanted to be surprised. So I went along with that. And I'm very happy that we did that. Like, I would do it again that way. It was so fun. Um, but yeah, and then she was perfect. A perfect baby. Her. <laughs> Sweet girl. Let's talk about postpartum. You got a you got a baby fresh out of surgery. How was immediate postpartum while you're still in the hospital? And then we can delve into once you got home. Okay. Yeah. Immediate postpartum. Uh, I feel like I was just blissed out at first, but I was, you know, I hadn't slept properly in like the last three nights. So I was very tired. Uh, so I remember taking a nap immediately and then. Um, obviously she has to be, well, no, I fed her immediately and then I napped and, um, I remember sleeping for like a long time, like maybe like 10 hours or something, not before, 
I forget what happened. Bryson was more alert, so you could tell. Immediately postpartum, I took it, I fed her, and then I napped, and then I just remember being so tired I couldn't feed her because the ner you and the nurse... Bryson was, like, shoving crackers in my mouth, being like, oh, you can't sleep if you're eating. And I was like, what? And I, like, couldn't be awake. And him and the nurse were like, we got to wake her up. we got to wake her up. The baby needs to eat. And I was like, literally could not keep my eyes open. But I was holding her. I was like, I'm scared I'm going to drop her. Like, I'm too scared to hold her. I'm too sleepy. Like, someone take her. And so then they had to give her a... They were like, okay. The nurse was like, okay, we can do formula or we can do donor milk. And I was like, donor milk. And then I remember just like conking out immediately after that. Like, it's in your hands now. And then <laughs> Bryson and the nurse like fed her so donor milk. <laughs> and I guess y'all did that for like a few hours while I caught up on sleep. Yeah, she um, pretty much when we first got to the, the, um, the hospital on Friday, she didn't really sleep that much at all really so it was really like pretty much three days of like little like very little to no to no sleep um so when she finally you know had Gemma, you know after after the c-section she was just kind of she was kind of tired um not kind of but very tired and really <laughs> couldn't couldn't wake her you know couldn't really wake her up or anything but you know the nurses like they got to check every little thing so every 10 15 minutes they're knocking on her door. So like even when she finally do start to get some sleep, they come right back in yeah. wanting some, you know, checking her, her blood or, you know, checking her vitals of sort. So, um, yeah, she was very tired and it was, it was hard to even keep her up. So I was just trying to feed her to, to, to keep her, to keep her up. Mm -hmm. But definitely, yeah, we had like some, you know, donor's milk for at least a couple of sessions. Yeah. Just so, you know, just so you could sleep. Yeah. And we could feed her. But other than that, I feel like once I was caught up on those Z's, I was actually, like, great. Yeah. Like, I remember standing and walking really quickly afterward and not having too much pain. Um, I had a really easy C-section recovery. So this can be like a happy C-section story for other people who are afraid of it. Because it might not be that bad. It might not. I feel like I had this idea of it being like the longest recovery ever, but I was walking in like the next day. Like, I don't know. My, my doula came over and she was like, didn't you just have a C-section like two days ago? I was like, yeah. And she was like, why are you walking around, woman? I was like, I don't know. It feels good. Um, but yeah, I had a really easy recovery, like the painkillers did me well for like a couple days, but after that I could pretty much just be on like Tylenol and ibuprofen and I feel like I was really lucky. I don't know if I had just a really good C-section surgeon or what, but, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of a breeze recovery wise. I, I couldn't drive or I wasn't allowed to drive. But, um, so that was cool. I got to be chauffeured around. Me and Gemma got to be chauffeured. Um, so yeah, other than that, postpartum, uh, I, oh, I guess the, 
Yeah. As far as the hospital, we were only there for like two days. Um, we, I was told I could stay another night, but I really wanted to get home to my dogs because I was just worried about them worrying about me. <laughs> I was just like, no, we got to get home. Like, we don't have a dog sitter. Like, we, we've been here too long. Um, but then once we got home, I was still sleep deprived because I probably should have stayed another night in the hotel. The hotel. In the, uh, the hospital. Just to have some more help. Like, from the nurse. Like, I got home, and I still hadn't slept enough, because I think at the hospital I was just, like, running on happy fumes. You know, I was just... I didn't want to sleep because she was laying right there. I was like, I, who's going to watch her if I close my eyes? Um, also, I don't want to stop looking at her. just want to look at her all day. Um, and also, the nurses kept coming in the room every 15 minutes. How are you supposed to get any sleep in there? Anyway... Once we got home, I was still sleep deprived and I broke down that first night. I know. I know. She wasn't, uh, I don't know. She seemed not happy with me. She just like screamed at my breast for like a while and I didn't know what else to do, but it seemed like she needed me, but I didn't know what to do for her and I was tired. She might have just been gassy or something. I don't know, but... I was just like, I never should have left the hospital. And we like called them <laughs> because I felt, I think I felt like my milk supply wasn't enough for her or something. And that's why she was like screaming at me and not taking my breast. So I was like, I don't know. She won't take it. Like she's seen, I didn't know what was wrong. So I was convinced it was my milk supply and Bryson like called the hospital's uh, labor and delivery unit and told her what was going on and he was like she's really she's really tired and I was like just sobbing uncontrollably like I was losing it I think I was going a little crazy honestly and I he put me on the phone with the nurse and she was like what if he just went to like Winco or something and got you like some formula just for tonight, because I was very much like, no formula, it's going to ruin my supply, you know, like I was, I didn't want to do formula, I wanted to feed her, so, but the nurse gave, gave me permission to give our baby formula <laughs> so I could sleep, but what was funny was right when, like almost right when Bryson got home with the formula, I, I fed her successfully and she was sleeping, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just remember that poor nurse that was on the phone with me, like, felt so bad for me. She was like, sweetie, she's like, like, I was a child to her. She was like, is it, he can go get formula. Are you, is that, are you okay? And I was just like, you know, when you're crying so hard, like, you can't really understand what someone's saying. That was me on the phone with that nurse. And I just, I was embarrassed, but I was also just like, I want can I come back like I just wanted to like go recheck in at the hospital like right, I actually like, need my bad my bad <laughs> I should have I should have stayed one more night can I come back um that's what I literally wanted to do um but I didn't think that was kosher so we didn't do that um but after that after I adjusted and got more sleep I think postpartum has been pretty cool it's just been 
a big reality check. Isn't that right, Ryson? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I had a. I feel like maybe my induction birth wasn't the easiest, but I do feel like I've had a pretty easy postpartum as far as not having any depression and easy recovery. And I've had a really um, like breezy breastfeeding experience, which was another thing I had anxiety about that I didn't need to. Um, Cause I, you know, I was a little weirded out by the thought of breastfeeding, but I couldn't, when I didn't have a baby, um, I was just like, how am I gonna, I don't know. It seems weird. You know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of people don't really know what it's going to feel like because there's nothing to compare it to. Um, but it is something I actually, it is definitely completely different. Exactly. So I feel like I actually enjoy it a lot and I didn't think that I would enjoy it as much as I do. Um, so yeah, other than that, I think we've just been kind of rolling with the punches, doing the whole parenting thing. I love the fact that the nurse, um, right, that the nurse that you called I know you said she gave you permission, but I, I think that even when you kind of explore that a little bit more, it just helps, especially with new parents, whether it's the partner or the nursing and birthing parent that um, having these ideas in our head, what we're going to do and being able to see the plan B, right? And and letting that be something that gives you something to kind of ground to like, okay, I know that my body has done this while we were at the hospital here we are getting home. There's been a shift in my hormones and different things going on in this short period of time. And my body's adjusting baby's brand new baby has never had to feed themselves <laughs> up until, up until this point. And so sometimes they do take that little break in between where they um, have some challenges with nursing, even if they've been doing well at it. So all that stuff is very common. And Bryson, when you think about like those early moments with that lactation issue um, and you had to kind of go off to get formula, did you feel like that was, um, helpful for Jenny like just being able to hear someone else and and for you to just be willing to do that like hey let's go do this too right yeah it was definitely um, reassuring that they suggested that because yeah when I was just looking at her that first time we brought her home and the you know the feeding wasn't really going well at all um, I definitely had that thought to to get something to supplement that. So yeah, thank goodness. Um, uh, what, what store did I go to? Was it Winco? Yeah, Winco, Winco, Winco. Got it's the West Coast. But yeah, twenty-four hours. Yeah, thank goodness it was open. I was. It was literally like three in the morning or something like that. It and was. I, and I just, yeah. I just got in the car hmm. and just, and just went. Oh yeah, it was like three a.m. Um. So. But yeah, by the time I got back home, they were pretty much both sleep, yeah. kind of. But yeah. But just to have it. Yeah, it's nice to have it. Even when she's, um, you know, off and working now, like I got to have some of that here, you know, just in case, you know, we run out of milk, obviously. It's, it's um, 
Mm-hmm. It's great. I love it. I love it. Nothing, you know, more nutritious than straight from the straight from the source, you know. But um, I don't know, man. <laughs> hearing hearing your baby cry is nothing. It's really nothing worse than that. Yeah. It's the sound I like the least. For for one of the most basic needs. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You're just like, man, I'm they only they only need this one thing right now, you know? So And so guys, as you think about how your pregnancy and birth was, is there anything else you would want to share with listeners, whether it be resources or advice or anything else that comes up for you? Yes. Um well, specifically for people who are in Oregon, there's um, the Healthy Birth Initiative, um, which is a really great, I think it's a government-funded program um, that they just add, give a lot of different kinds of support uh, to moms specifically, but uh, families, just the whole family too. Um, they even offer financial assistance like rental assistance it can help you get diapers child care um just all kinds of stuff um but what's been really helpful for me is the um the chats with the a community nurse so i talk to um my i guess so the program is geared towards black families Um, So I think all the nurses are black. Um, So I got to talk to a black nurse every, I think it was, I don't remember how often it was, if it was every month or every two months. Um, But we would just do check-ins, talk about what was going on with doctor's visits or any goals or tips or advice that I need. Um, She's just really great and like, no matter what, you know, kind of concerns I had or what area it was, she usually had some sort of resource to offer. Um, and just nice to be able to bounce things off of her. Like, um, yeah, just really knowledgeable and helpful. Uh, the other one uh, is the Black Parent Initiative. And there um, they have a, sac- it's called um, Sacred Roots Doula program um, and they provide free doula care to black families um, out here Um, they have a lot of doulas and we were really lucky to be matched with a great one who I feel like is aligned with us Um, so yeah that was like the best thing ever they also they do a bunch of other programs for like parenting or black fathers groups and stuff um and they do a lot of like holiday get-togethers they do lat you know just a lot of supportive like programming really to help you like connect with other breastfeeding black moms or pregnant moms and stuff so i think those two programs have been really really helpful for us in this journey because both of them go from prenatal all through like postpartum so I think that... that's really helpful, especially for those um, in the Oregon area to be able to access those valuable resources, exactly. because 
Um, not everybody can afford a doula. And sometimes even if you can afford it, it's easier to put other resources towards something else for your family if you can, right. if you can utilize something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And especially out here because there's so few, there's so few like black doctors and black, you know, obstetricians and stuff. So it's definitely really helpful to have some culturally specific care in Oregon. For sure. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I'm so glad we got to do this. Me too. Um, and for sharing those resources. I know our listeners are really going to tap into that. Awesome. So. I hope they do. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 